You're listening to the voice of dog. I'm Kaki, your faithful fireside companion. And today's story is the second and final part of Variables by Roland Jovek, who wrote this story as a submission for Roar 5 by Bad Dog Books. He hopes you enjoy listening to one of his earlier works, and if you're interested in reading more, he's currently working on reviving his Sofuri page, where he will be posting any future works. Last time, S10's date with his local barista lands him in hot water when their evening doesn't go as planned. Corey offers to walk himself home, and when S10 returns to the coffee shop the next morning, Corey is nowhere to be found. Please enjoy Variables by Roland Jovek, Part 2 of 2. The next day, S10 caught a glimpse of Corey loitering behind the counter, but the fox was quick to run to the back room when he saw the ferret coming. His escape was short-lived when his co-workers noticed his absence. When he did come out to serve S10, Corey didn't make eye contact. He looked down and to the side as he took the ferret's change. The fox's usual smile that S10 had grown accustomed to was gone, and his chatter to the other patrons was limited. S10 watched carefully, tipping his coffee in that practiced motion while pretending to drink. All of the things that seemed to define the fox had vanished. The energetic flick in his tail, the smile on his muzzle, and the perkiness of his ears, ears that could touch the ceiling with his enthusiasm. It made more logical sense, he supposed, that the two of them not become romantically involved after all. Before S10 had thought to make the decision final, Corey stepped out from behind the counter with a carafe in hand. His eyes crawled along the floor with his ears stooped low, he didn't approach S10's table, but the ferret managed to catch him making sidelong glances. S10 took another sip. Too many variables. May 28, 2014, 10.45am. Explorations into the subject of dating have been unsuccessful. Participant Corey was not receptive to dinner and has grown distant. Due to recent circumstances, it may no longer be favorable to frequent the coffee vendor downstairs. S10 tried throughout the day to complete just one of his many tasks, but whenever he sat down to work, his mind wandered to thoughts of his one failed date and Corey's recent odd behaviour. Was he malfunctioning? He couldn't think of any other reason for his lack of concentration. When he checked, all of his internal tests passed flawlessly. Any external equipment gave him the same answer, so what was wrong? S10 plugged himself into the computer in an effort to complete his work subroutines. The spreadsheets that appeared before him shimmered for a split second. S10 shook his head and allowed the image to refocus. The cursor blinked, but nothing would come. His accounting contracts would just have to wait one more day. He unplugged himself from the computer and picked up The Art of Dating and Gun Maintenance. He flipped through the pages, but none of them offered any assistance. He set the book down and stared at the computer. Much like him, it had been designed for the purposes of computing and, under the right circumstances, learning. It wasn't designed to malfunction, so why was he having such a hard time concentrating? His phone lit up from under his monitor. He plugged the small interface cable into his phone and closed his image receptors. The text message was from Corey. So that's it, huh? S10 processed the message multiple times, but without context, the message was useless. I don't understand he wrote back, using a common English phrase he'd commonly written when he first learned about the various methods of communication. I guess you wouldn't. Figures you'd be back to acting like nothing ever happened after a night like that. Do you care about anyone other than yourself? Nothing in his life or the dating book had taught him about scenarios like this. He was unsure of how to react. 
Contrary to his diary, he had no interest in changing venues for his morning coffee. It was inefficient, unfamiliar, and it took so much time to train new baristas to his morning rituals. He tried his best to formulate an appropriately objective response. I do observe other people. Adapting is difficult. I do not know what you want me to do. He confirmed the message and sent it on its way. He wanted to understand, but the customs of people were difficult at the best of times. Stop talking like you're a freaking robot. I want you to apologize, but it's a little late for that. The situation might be easier, he supposed, if Corey knew he was an android, but telling him was out of the question and against his programming. He was supposed to adapt, mingle, blend in. From what he could tell, he was not doing an adequate job. Apologies would not remedy what happened. I can take care of your dry cleaning as penance for purchasing the wine that stained your clothing. The delay between messages was getting shorter. You really don't get it. I don't want your money. I didn't want it at dinner, and I don't want it now. I can't buy you from the cafe, but don't think I'll be the one serving you. Have a nice life. Even with Esten's limited scope of human behavior, he understood the finality of the message. He left the phone on his desk and went to his bedroom to recharge for the night. He would revisit the concept of dating another time. The next few days were spent finding a new locale to incorporate into his morning social routine. The search was more difficult than anticipated. Service elsewhere was slow, inefficient, and apathetic. It was difficult choosing a new venue when the fox provided such a unique, favorable experience to his morning routine. Later that week, he came upon a cafe with a bubbly ringtail standing alone behind the counter who seemed more than happy to serve Esther his morning coffee. Hi, my name's Jesse. How can I help you, cutie? The cackle missile's tail flipped up, threatening to fling fur everywhere. Medium coffee, three quarters full, please. S10 dug into his pocket for appropriate change, but the ringtail waved his paw and bounced over to the carafe behind him. It's in the house, but only if you'll tell me your name, he giggled. S10, he replied, unsure how his name could hold any monetary value. Nice to meet you. Are you new around here? I definitely remember if a mug as cute as yours came walking in here. He set S10 steaming coffee on the counter in front of him. I recently had to make new arrangements, he stated before taking the coffee. The cackle missile whistled with a grin. Troubles at home, sweetie? No. Oh, Jesse paused, but only long enough to write his number down on the back of a napkin. Well, give me a call if you need anything else, okay, hon? Jesse gave another giggle and bounced away. Estan examined the number, guessing this might be another form of flirting. It seemed that his study of dating would be resuming sooner than expected. Estan inspected the number for a few moments before dialing. The voice that answered was just as chipper as before. Hello? Hi, it's Esten, he responded, unsure if he was supposed to respond to the elongated string of vowels in any particular fashion. Esten, calling already? Aren't we the eager one? He said with a giggle. I wasn't aware there was a set waiting period. Should I call back later? No, this is fine, silly. I like a guy who's punctual. So what's the plan, handsome? S10 hesitated, remembering what an apparent disaster his date with Corey had been. This time, he would execute his plans effortlessly. I was thinking dinner, if that would be all right with you, he replied, finally. Dinner sounds great. I knew, right? He giggled, perhaps a subtle hint at a joke, but not the kind that S10 was familiar with. Yeah, sure. He wasn't sure what else to say. Great. I'll text you my address. Pick me up at eight, handsome. 
There was a click from Jesse hanging up before S10 had a chance to get a word in edgewise. He set the phone down and looked at his watch. 6.45. Might as well get ready, he figured. By the time 7.30 rolled around, S10 was prepared in a more casual manner than the last time, wearing only a clean, collared golf tee and blue jeans. The neck opened up just enough to show off a light tuft of brown fur and the sleeves stopped just short of his lightly toned biceps that had been crafted to his father's design. S10 sent out a quick text after arriving at Jesse's door. The ringtail appeared shortly after, wearing fur-tight jeans that did not look comfortable and a pink v-neck t-shirt that showed off more chest than seemed necessary to the android. Jesse's eyes widened when he took note of S10's car. The feminine ringtail jumped into the passenger seat, curling his tail comfortably into his lap. His fur shone, luxurious and silky. It matched Jesse's bubbly smile and energetic demeanour. Though the ringtail must have been considered incredibly attractive by normal standards, S10 found it paled in comparison to Corey's gentle smile and subtle movements. Nice car, Jesse swooned. So, where are we going? S10 remembered the trouble he had had with Corey over his dining plans and decided not to repeat his previous failed date. I was thinking of some place like Italiano's. Yeah, that sounds fine. Jesse agreed, but some of the enthusiasm had fallen out of the ringtail's otherwise over-the-top demeanor. S10 looked over, concerned that he might have made yet another grave mistake in his planning. Is everything all right? Yeah, he muttered while looking out the window. S10 shrugged to himself, figuring the ringtail had no reason to lie if everything wasn't okay, so he threw the car into gear and they were off. Italiano's was a smaller Italian restaurant where business casual was recommended, but not necessary. Among the rest of the patrons, S10 looked slightly overdressed for the occasion. Evening, gentlemen. An ocelot in a white button shirt greeted from behind the counter. Two for the evening? He already had the menus cradled in his arms. Yes, thank you, S10 replied. S10 waved the wine menu away once they were seated, though Jesse quickly snapped it back before the server could reach for it. The ocelot laughed and turned to S10. My name's Evan. I'll be your waiter. Can I get you something to drink? Water, please. He smiled to Evan as he opened the menu in front of him. Evan looked to Jesse out of the corner of his eye. And for the missus? Jesse made the sound of mock laughter. There goes your tip, mister. I'll have a bottle of the house Merlot and make it quick. The ocelot wrote something down on his notepad while keeping very tight-lipped before turning away, muttering, charming little thing, aren't you? In a way that only S10 seemed to hear. Esten was confused where this lack of a tip would be coming from since he was the one paying. As for the server's comment, Esten supposed that, at a glance, Jessie could be mistaken for a woman of the flat-chested variety. The idea of Jessie as a woman made Esten smile. He recognised the feeling as mirth, though he wasn't sure where this sense of emotion was coming from. However, this was a feeling he could get used to. Jessie didn't have to wait long for his wine to arrive. The server came out with two glasses and set them in front of both S10 and Jessie, throwing a raised eyebrow in S10's direction. As the server poured Jessie's glass, S10 decided he would have some wine after all. When it came time to order, Jessie had picked the most expensive thing on the menu. Simply coincidence, S10 figured as he opted for a smaller appetizer. He had been designed to consume meals and beverages when the situation called for it, but there was no sense in ordering too much food when he wouldn't really enjoy it anyway. His circuitry did, however, experience wine and alcohol as if he were flesh and blood. His ability to comprehend logic became muddled and finer tasks would have to wait until the effects are worn off. 
Unlike his previous date, Jesse appeared happy to speak with little input from S10, though the Kakamissal's only concerns were fashion and celebrity gossip. Even with the help of his eidetic memory, he had issues keeping focused on Jesse's conversation, his mind drifting instead to what Corey might be doing tonight. It was irrelevant, considering he hadn't seen Corey in a week, and the fox was far from similar to his current date. Oh shit! Jesse exclaimed and grabbed S10 by the collar, pulling him forward into an unexpected kiss. S10 tried to pull away, but Jesse's grip was insistent. Jesse eventually let go, leaving S10 to fix his collar. Evan was standing awkwardly nearby with two dishes in paw. Should I come back later? He looked between the two of them. No, S10 said as he brushed the wrinkles from his shirt. Thank you. The ocelot set the plates down and quietly excused himself, glancing back to keep an eye on their table. S10 munched on his fried shrimp, not sure what kind of conversation would be appropriate after a first kiss. Jesse burst out into laughter, shattering the silence between them without notice. Oh, S10, that's hilarious! He continued to giggle as he stuffed a scallop into his muzzle. S10 finished his first mouthful with some confusion. I'm sorry? At least act like you said something funny, he glared. My ex just walked through the door and I want him to know what he's missing. S10 had never felt awkward during a smile before, but somehow it didn't feel appropriate for the situation. He smiled nonetheless and nodded in acknowledgement. The things I'm gonna do to you when we get back to the apartment, dear, you won't walk for hours, Jesse continued, with a shrill laugh that resonated through the restaurant. S10 looked around to the number of tables looking at them now, helpless to respond to the situation. He looked back to Jesse, but his attention was now turned to a snow-white fox in a leather blazer with black dress pants who was approaching their table. A mayor, have you met my new boyfriend, S10? He is such a charmer. The white fox turned to Esten and looked him up and down. Take it from me, darling, you can do so much better. With a shrug of his shoulders, he returned to the podium at the front where an equally well-dressed wolf was waiting for him. Jesse scoffed and waved a paw, turning back to Esten. I forget him, he's totally jealous. Let's eat, I'm starving. Without another word, the ringtail dug into his lobster and scallops, not making a single attempt at conversation until well after he was done. He wiped his lips and tossed the napkin on the table. Man, I need a smoke. You got the bill, right? Put up, and they'll put out. The words repeated in Esten's mind, but Esten had sparingly little interest in putting out for the obnoxious ringtail. Yeah, I got it, the perplexed mustelid responded, but Jesse was already halfway out the door. It was only then that the ocelot returned, and Esten felt a rise in his internal temperature. I feel like I should apologize. The ocelot smiled and shook his head. Ah, uh, you have nothing to apologize for. Your boy toy, on the other hand, he trailed off. Look, it's not my business, but there are worse things than being single. S10 nodded while he reflected on what future dates with the cackle missile would be like. He certainly didn't look forward to seeing him again. Thanks. S10 tucked a handful of bills into the ocelot's hand and smiled. Thank you for the excellent service. Hey, he stuttered as S10 turned to the door. This is like a $50 tip. Yes, it is. His smile turned to a grin as he stepped outside. S10 waved a paw in front of his muzzle as he walked right into a cloud of smoke. It left an unpleasant haze on his sensors. Was all of that necessary? S10 asked, looking back to Jesse's ex through the window. The question had been more of an inquisitive one than an accusation. Are you kidding? He seemed far more excited than the situation called for as he puffed excitedly on a cigarette. He was giddy and lashing his tail about. Did you see the look on his face? He was totally jealous. 
if you say so. S10 turned his head back to the restaurant, looking to the table where Amer and his apparent date were seated. He seemed completely unconcerned about the two of them as they stood outside. S10 couldn't help but think about what both Amer and Evan had said to him before they left. Though he knew little about the intricacies of dating, he knew considerably more about things such as decorum and commonly accepted manners for acting in public, and Jesse was meeting none of those specifications. He simply nodded in between words as the ringtail laughed and blew smoke in the ferret's general direction, fuzzing up his delicate nose receptors. Corey knew how to act appropriately, he thought. Even though their date had ultimately ended in tragedy, he'd never been vulgar toward S10 or anyone else. So, my place is yours, cutie, Jesse said with a giggle. What? S10 blinked, jarred from distracted thought. He was forced, once again, to focus on Jesse. The cacomissile waved his hips from side to side and grinned broadly. What do you say we go back to my place and have some real fun, huh? Oh, yeah, sure. S10 grabbed keys from his pocket. What kind of fun did you have in mind? He had a pretty good idea of what Jesse was planning, but hoped the cacomissile would change his mind given the chance. Don't be coy. He gave S10 a playful push of the shoulder. You and I are going to do things that would make Satan himself blush. Satan is a statistical improbability. Don't get technical with me, mister. He grabbed S10 by the arm and dragged him back towards the car, barely able to contain his excitement. S10 groaned. The cackle missile was insistent, and it was starting to become problematic. Jesse couldn't hide his grin as they got into the car and drove off. Five minutes into the drive, the effeminate cackle missile had unbuckled his seatbelt and was leaning over into the driver's seat, running a paw up and down S10's leg. Please put your seatbelt on. S10 protested. It's not safe. Ah, oh, come on, sweetie. What do you say to a little warm-up session? Jesse's fingers trailed up the ferret's legs, letting his paw come to a rest between S10's legs. His grip was rough and very unwelcome. S10 glanced down at the ringtail. He couldn't adequately describe the feelings that were beginning to build inside him, but Jesse was quickly becoming someone that he did not want to be around. Please stop what you were doing. Just getting a little sample... His paw squeezed again, the ringtail's movements jagged and unrefined. Sort of like a try-before-you-buy to make sure the package is any good. Everything the ringtail did defied logic and reason. His lack of regard for anyone else around him was something that S10 greatly disapproved of. Hostile thoughts clouded his judgment and caused him to grit his teeth. He'd had enough of the ringtail. If there was ever a lesson on what not to do on a first date, he was sure this was it. He couldn't explain why but the only thing he wanted at that moment was to talk to Corey, to apologize to him for things he still didn't understand. Let's see what we've got here. Jesse unzipped S10's pants and started working on his belt. S10 stomped on the brakes, sending the ringtail into the dashboard with a loud, pained yelp. The result made him smile, despite his frustration. Get out. The nerve of you! First you slam me into your dashboard, and now you're telling me that I have to find my own way home? My house is miles from here! You were told to buckle up. As for getting home, that's no longer my problem. This date is over. As Ten's responses were short, the inflections were harsh and unfamiliar. He was beginning to understand what he felt toward the ringtail was anger, a concept he had studied but had previously been sheltered from experiencing. You are obligated to drive me home! The ringtail's hair was standing on end, his features wrinkled and distorted through his angry glares. He looked to the ringtail and slowed his words, making them careful and deliberate. I believe they call what you did tonight sexual assault. If you don't want any more trouble tonight, I suggest you find your own way home. You wouldn't. 
I would. The ringtail stepped out and slammed the car door shut before rubbing at the parts of his body that had become intimate with the dashboard. S10 drove, leaving the ringtail in his rearview mirror. Once the heat of the situation had died down, S10 recalled the emotions he had felt, the raw and unfamiliar nature of them, and what it meant for his programming. He still couldn't explain why, but the urge to call Corey was now stronger than ever. Hello? Corey, it's S10. I don't want to talk to you. I'm sorry. There was a pause on the other end of the line. What? I'm sorry, he repeated. I still don't fully understand what happened during our date, but I want to see you. There was another long pause. S10 could hear Corey breathing heavily on the other line. I don't want to see you. Corey's hesitation gave S10 the impression that the fox was lying, but only slightly. I want to understand, Corey. I'm unable to stop thinking about you and I don't know why. Unless you have a damn good reason for acting the way you've been acting, I don't want anything more to do with you. There's only one way, he thought. But you can't. The seed of doubt crept into his thoughts. Telling Corey went against the very core of his programming. There had to be another way. I can't tell you, he whispered, though he didn't mean to. Then this conversation is over. Wait! S10 listened for signs that Corey had hung up, that he had terminated the call. Indescribable tension and nervousness flooded his entire being. His only purpose, he felt, would be crushed the moment Corey hung up that phone. He would do it, he decided. I have something I need to tell you. What is it? In person. Please, he begged. There was another long, contemplative pause. Meet me at the shop in fifteen minutes. S10 was downstairs in two. He had no reason to wait otherwise. The night was quiet and desolate, powered only by street lamps and the few cars that drove by. He counted the minutes until Corey arrived, each one making him increasingly anxious. Eleven minutes and thirty-two seconds later, Corey arrived. This had better be good, S10. I had company. His ears flicked with a hint of shame as he said it. I'm sorry. About our date, he said, hoping that might be enough to appease the fox. You don't even know what you're apologizing for, spat Corey, obviously still bitter at how their night had gone. S10 tried to put into words what he was only now beginning to understand, though the explanation seemed intangible and unexplainable. He wanted to speak, to say anything, but his mind and his thoughts would not let him. He stood there in silence. I knew coming here was a waste of time. Corey turned from S10 and started walking. Don't leave, S10 reached forward and grabbed Corey's arm. Let go, Corey hissed. He pulled his arm away and started to walk faster. There was no way that Corey could understand, not without S10 going against his programming to reveal his true identity. But somehow a life without the fox seemed like no life at all. His inexplicable attachment to the fox was undeniable, and regardless of what he'd been programmed for, none of it mattered if the fox wasn't there for it. I'll tell you... He shouted loud enough that he was sure the people in the apartments nearby could hear him. Corey stopped and turned. I'll tell you, he repeated. S10's body was trembling. He hadn't been programmed for any of this, so what was happening to him? Corey walked back, still keeping his distance from S10. Tell me what? Why are you so desperate for my approval now? You sure as hell didn't want it before. I'm an android. I'm not flesh and blood. These were things he wanted badly to say, but he couldn't bring himself to do it. The world isn't ready, he told himself. Programming or not, the world simply wasn't ready. I've never been on a date before. He regretted saying those words as soon as they left his muzzle. 
He felt silly, and his ears pressed back against his head. Corey's shoulders slumped as he breathed a sigh in disbelief. That's it? That's it, S10 looked away, embarrassed under Corey's incredulous stare. I'm sorry, S10, but that doesn't really explain how you've been acting. I get that you're nervous, but you were completely self-centered last night. He trailed off, laying an arm across his chest to rub at his elbow. I'm sorry about the restaurant. S10 repeated himself to the point where he felt broken. He strained to think about what had gone wrong that night for just what he was supposed to be apologizing for. I didn't listen to you, and I imposed on you at the restaurant. These were still stabs in the dark, but if he thought hard enough, he could begin to understand. It's a start, Corey muttered. S10 stepped forward, and before Corey could react, pressed his lips against the fox's muzzle. He sensed a brief flickering of Corey's warm lips before the fox pulled away with a gasp. S10, what the hell was that? I thought that was how one showed affection. Esten's ears flicked back against his head. He was so sure he was starting to get the hang of this, how could he possibly be so inept? Corey stepped back. I can't do this, Esten. He turned and ran off into the night. Esten walked back to his apartment, defeated and confused. He hadn't been able to convince Corey to stay after all. He had failed in his main objective, to blend in, to mingle as people often did, through courtship and dating. He sat in his computer chair, lost and alone. He shouted to the empty apartment before grabbing the wireless mouse on his desk and throwing it against the wall. Batteries scattered as the mouse exploded into several pieces underneath the windowsill, directly beneath the small wooden box his father had given him. He gazed at the box and its tauntingly plain exterior as his father's words echoed in his head. You'll know when to open it, S10. Why was the box so damned important, and why wasn't he allowed to open it? It had been so insignificant before, but now it insulted his senses, teasing him with yet another riddle he could not solve. You'll know when to open it. I don't know what you mean. His voice echoed off the walls, fading quickly into nothing. He grabbed the box from its perch and clutched it tight until the wood cracked beneath his grip. Everything made even less sense to him now, just like the rest of the world around him. Esten had no way to know when it would ever be the right time to open it. To hell with it. He popped the latch and opened the box. There was a lone slip of paper inside, a far cry from anything Esten thought might have been inside. He removed the note, observing that the scribble was his father's handwriting. Esten, the very fact that you're reading this means your journey is ready to begin. Your learning processes and natural curiosity, along with your ability to experience emotions, means you are ready to become one with the world around you. You may think that you are broken or are experiencing a malfunction, but I promise that this transition is deliberate. I hid parts of your programming from you that you were designed only to activate when you had matured enough to handle the ramifications of raw emotion. You have no doubt you've opened my present to you because you are alone, scared and angry. You're learning how to deal with all of those traits on your own, and I am so proud of you. I knew that when I designed you, I would never get to see you grow up and experience life for yourself. However, there was no question in my mind that you would reach maturity and grow into your own person. And what a wonderful person I imagined you would become. You will learn to experience love, to hold on to it, and to never let go. Should you find that special someone, do not fail to tell them you love them and to share with them your deepest secrets. This is what I've programmed you for to experience the best of what life has to offer, 
in the hopes that you may one day understand how to share those gifts with the people you hold dear. I bless you with the gift of life, my son. Love, Charles. S10 crumpled the paper in his hand and sighed. The next morning did not come quickly. He knew time was constant, but nothing seemed to be acting as it should, and that included himself. His subroutines were a mess. Tasks lay undone, papers weren't organized, and S10 was being plagued with thoughts that he no longer controlled. Eight o'clock rolled around, marking the end of the morning rush at the coffee shop downstairs. Now was the time for S10 to make one last effort, to try and make Corey understand. Even if his efforts were doomed to fail, he had to try. S10 pushed through the door to the shop, making his way to the front counter, and making eye contact with Corey. Though Corey looked away, he did not retreat to the back as he had before. Instead, he put his head down, not returning eye contact with S10, as if trying to convince himself that the ferret was not really there. Can I take your order, sir? Corey didn't look up, his fingers at the ready on the cash register. Can we talk about last night? There's nothing to talk about. Corey gripped the sides of the register. I think you should go. S10 reached his hand out to touch Corey's. He felt the fox's muscles tense immediately and twitch, but he did not pull it out of Esten's reach. Look, I've learned a lot about myself in the last few weeks. There's a lot I still don't know, but I was hoping I could figure it out. With you. The cash drawer interrupted the conversation with a loud ding and a harsh clang as it jutted out. That'll be a dollar forty-seven. Esten patiently handed over the change, not taking his eyes off of Corey. Corey looked down at the till with his ears canted off to the side. Corey was silent until a line had begun to form behind Esten. He spoke, but in harsh, whispered tones. What about your new bow? I don't know. A mayor texted me during his date last night. Told me he saw his ex with someone that met your description. Couldn't keep his lips off you, I heard. And I made him walk home after he tried to molest me in the car. Esten squeezed Corey's hand. After all that, all I wanted was to call you. Please. Corey pulled his paw back. Look, I'm off at five. You're holding up the line. Traffic filtered seamlessly in and out of the cafe. Though S10 was always aware of the time, he found himself looking to his timepiece anyway. A short, stocky cougar passed by, taking a sidelong glance at S10. The ferret recognized him as the manager. Busy day today, huh? The passing cougar questioned, his tail flicking back and forth, skillfully out of the way of any nearby tables. Just a bit of unfinished business, he said with a smile, waving his paw over the pile of papers in front of him. With a smile and a nod, the feline turned back to his business, wiping down tables and paying S10 no mind. S10 passed the time by watching as people entered and left. The shop was nearly empty when five o'clock rolled around. Corey busied himself with some last-minute duties before disappearing into the back room. Time to tidy up. S10 shuffled his papers back into their folder. Outside the cafe, Corey shifted his tail uneasily, and S10 stood with his hands in his pockets, unsure how to initiate the conversation. Corey cleared his throat. So, yeah. You're certainly persistent, Corey said with a nervous laugh. S10 wasn't sure what to say to that, so he simply nodded. What do you want, S10? A second chance. Corey crossed his arms with a grumble. You expect me to just give you a second chance after all? He threw his arms up in the air. Whatever you would call all of that? 
frustration seeped into Esten's thoughts. He had done everything in his power to understand, to make things right. I've done my best to understand what I've done wrong. I have apologized and I've groveled. In spite of all that has happened, I still want to be with you. Do you not feel the same? I used to, he grumbled while looking off to the side. Esten took a step forward. Corey, I don't know how to explain how I feel about you, but I do know that when I'm around you, I feel different. I feel complete. He didn't know quite what that meant, but it sounded like the right thing to say. I know I'm not perfect. At least he sure didn't feel like it. That's an understatement, Corey muttered. And I've messed up. A lot, he added. But each mistake brings me to a better understanding of how my actions affected you. Corey was silent, waiting expectantly for Esten to continue. When you're around, I feel like the day gets a little brighter. When I'm with you, I feel like I can be a better person. Esten stepped forward and took Corey's paws in his. When Corey didn't pull back, he stared into the fox's eyes. Let me make it up to you. The vulpine's shoulders sagged with a sigh. Corey met Esten's gaze with the slightest hint of a smile on his muzzle. All right, but let's take it slow. December 20, 2014, 9.45am. The Christmas holidays are coming and it'll be the first year I've spent them with anyone aside from you, Father. It turns out Corey was the perfect candidate after all. I've learned so much about love and heartbreak, and I couldn't have done it without the both of you to guide me. I love him, Father, and I make sure to tell him every day. I understand now why you programmed me never to reveal my secret to anyone. I could never have truly understood the repercussions of such an act without knowing what I do today. I've decided that Christmas will be the day I tell him everything, and I pray that it goes well. I miss you, Father. This was the second and final part of Variables by Roland Jovec, read for you by Kaki, your faithful fireside companion. As always, you can find more stories on the web at thevoice.dog or find the show wherever you get your podcast. Thank you for listening to The Voice of Dog. <laughs>